You're listening to the Acceptably Real Podcast with Joe and Jerry on Anchor.fm, where the weird, the wild, and the unknown are fair play. Enjoy the show. Howdy, Jerry. How's it going? I'm pretty good. Hey, uh, we promised our listeners in the last episode that we would talk about something really dumb. <laughs> Dumbs. <laughs> so we should explain. We should. Explain. Yeah, but you're going to have to explain because I did no research on it, so you could explain it all to me because I'm all I know is what you've told me. Okie dokie. So dumb is an acronym for it stands for deep underground military bases. Um. Now, these, these were things that were kind of thought to be kind of uh, folky back in World X, War II. X-Files? X-Files, maybe, maybe a little bit of that. Um, these A lot of these were created either during World War II or after World War II. For example, Cheyenne Mountain uh, eventually became known as NORAD, uh, the North American um, Air Defense System place. Uh, mm-hmm. there's others like the Greenbrier for Congress, Raven Rock for the Pentagon, um, Mount Weather for the FEMA, Mount Pony for the Treasury and Federal Reserve. These were acknowledged by the U.S. military to be um, – have been constructed in case there is a nuclear attack to shield these government officials. Um, and these are just the ones that we know about, right? There have been – Different rumors, eyewitnesses, and accounts, and even Google Earth. People have found a lot of things on Google Earth that raise speculations of even more top secret bases. That's pretty crazy. Well, I would bet you, since these other ones are now very well known in public, that they're just um, dummies and the real ones are somewhere else. Because you know those are the targets now, because that's where all the nuclear bombs are going to be targeted right at those. Yeah, uh, you know, even um, I think you know, in 1972 there was an account of a gentleman who's flying a little Cessna plane, um, and he was actually making an emergency landing near a dirt road, um, and this was right near the Aberdeen Proving Ground, which is a U.S. Army uh, military facility in Maryland. Mm-hmm. I believe it's in Maryland where he claimed he saw uh, on the ground out of the grub, uh, kind of a big, huge zipper kind of like form out of the ground and kind of separate revealing a, a large military base underground with some aircraft rising out of it. Um, he wasn't supposed to be there, but you know, this is just according to his, his eyewitness account. Um, so, you know, are there underground bases hidden from the public? I mean, there are certainly Heck, yeah. things- yeah, there's certainly things we don't know about, right? That the uh, government hasn't made public or declassified. Um, I mean, there's there's a lot more to this. It, it gets kind of hokier, so stay with me. Um, but I guess another account is uh, there was an anonymous report by a retired General Electric engineer who claimed that he was a part of an underground program that towed a big B-52 bomber plane in a massive, I mean, massive underground tunnel. He claimed that there were, it was big enough to hold two B-52 bombers side by side with over 20 feet 
extra space on each side. Um, and that's how big these huge tunnels were underground. Um, you know, this is something he did anonymously as he signed an NDA. And this was back in 1992 that he came out with this. And he, he had mentioned in his report that there were several other connected tunnels. Um, and this is one of those things that if you, if you look into the subject enough and if you dive into the, some of the conspiracy stuff out there, even some of what people are thinking out there, you know, there are, there are rumors of um, an underground kind of hyperloop or a maglev train that connects these huge military bases. Um, that's a, a huge, you know, um, architectural feat, a huge transportation system for the elite and underground um, government officials. So that's just that I found that interesting. Um, I, I totally believe all that. Yeah, are you are you being serious or are you? No, no, I to, I totally believe that the, there are massive underground secret installations because even now we nuclear war is, is still a very real possibility and and there there there's public and not so public um deterrence and well not um um Hide, hidey holes, basically just places to go hide for the, the higher ups and the rich and famous and the military so that they can survive and strike back. You know, I, I totally believe that now when it comes to, cause last in the last episode, you said something about a wall coming down and aliens being in there. Well, we'll get okay. there. We'll get there. We'll get there. Okay. Sorry. Okay. Sorry. Spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get there. Okay. Before I want to, before we talk about that, I want to talk about something else uh, because okay. this is kind of a good segue. All right. Um, and so after, right after World War II, uh, there was a naval operation by, called Operation High Jump. It was led by Admiral Richard E. Byrd, who was a pilot and polar explorer in both World War One and World War II. This gentleman was a Medal of Honor recipient. Um, and so this was the, at the time this was the biggest naval expedition to the. The uh, Antarctica uh, with over 5,000 people. Okay. So this is a huge, huge thing. Um, Now, the objectives weren't clear at the time, right? This this, uh, was supposed to, I think it was publicized as being a a show of might, a show of force post World War II. Um, But there's there's a lot, I think there's a bit more to it than that. so USA, you know, we're not the only country in the world. We're not the only superpower in the world. Um, there's a there's a country uh, now known as Russia, who <laughs> uh, has a clandestine service known as the KGB, and I think we've touched on the KGB a bit before. But the KGB in 1991 declassified their UFO documents. Um, I believe they were known as the Blue Papers. Kind of interesting, uh-huh. kind of kind of like ours, how it was called Project Blue Book, but these were called the Blue Papers, I think. If I'm if I'm getting that oh, wrong, I like apologize. Bloopers. <laughs> yeah, bloopers. Um, the bloopers. No, I'm sorry. The famous Blue Fuller, I think it's called. Oh. Okay. Um, so um, the, there's a Soviet cosmonaut, Pavel Popovich, who got the folder from the KGB in '91. Um, Good old Pavel. Yeah, and he is currently the holder of the position of Honorary President of the Academy of Informational and Applied Ufology. Um, this folder contained numerous 
uh, descriptions of UFO flights and reports on some mostly failed attempts by the military in order to catch the aliens. Um, so the Russians had, you know, made attempts to actually capture these objects in the air. Now, mostly failed, you say. Mostly failed. So here's here's where it gets interesting. Now, within this blue folder, um, there evidently were um, were uh, it detailed some Soviet at the time intelligence of this operation high jump that we mentioned before that was going by, by the America. So Soviet spies were within, you know, in this as well. So what the United States didn't, you know, proclaim what this KGB UFO documents proclaim was that, uh, this, this expedition was supposedly perhaps to go find a big, huge, uh, rumored Nazi base in Antarctica. Um, but what actually happened was that there, uh, the, the files reported that a UFO came out of the water at a 45 degree angle when they got there. Um, flying at a super, super fast speed. And I guess for some reason, uh, the, the Navy started firing at it. So it started firing back. Um, and so this is one of the, I guess, reasons why the expedition had been canceled was because of this event. Um, this Admiral Richard E. Byrd was actually interviewed by some Central American news or journalist and was sta- uh, stated that we had to be prepared for um, ships that could go from pole to pole at crazy, ridiculous speeds. Anyway, I read this and I, I was thinking about what we talked about before with the Tic Tac UFO um, that was recently announced. So, I mean, pretty crazy. But the, the whole reason I, I even came upon this was because of this whole rumored Nazi um, military base that they supposedly had. So the the kind of story and rumor kind of thing goes is that during World War II, at the during the war, the Nazis had constructed a huge base down in Antarctica, um, and this is where evidently Adolf had gone to, you know, hide out after the war. And then they had like some kind of dock in Argentina, which is how a lot of them went to Argentina, um, and stuff like that. So very interesting stuff. Um, there isn't really anything documented about the supposed Nazi military base, but if you you can go do your research and you'll find that you know a lot of people, um, this was a huge rumor even during the war that this was a thing, and so uh, there are probably reasons why it's not publicized or declassified here, um, but I'm willing to bet that at some point we'll we'll find something out about this. Now, uh, let's go on to the. Uh, I guess the interesting thing that we all want to hear about, right? Um, <laughs> I was going to so, mention that I don't know that if you movie. say adult. What's that? I, I was going to mention that movie. Oh, gosh, I think there was a sequel coming out. It's something about the 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 Nazis uh, built a secret moon base, and they were and and Hitler was up there, and they were going to and they had like dinosaurs. <laughs> Did you what? Never seen <laughs> Never. that. It, it's a, it's a, it's kind of a made, made uh, higher budget, but made to be a B movie <laughs> science fiction. Anyway, carry on. I'm sorry. Okay. No, it's okay. Um, so there was a, uh, a city town known as Dulce, New Mexico. It's located right on the Colorado, New Mexican border. 
it's a quaint town, a population of just under 3,000 people. Um, it's actually the tribal headquarters for the Chisaria Apache Reservation. I butchered that. I know I did. It's also the alleged location of a secret underground alien base. Um, now, this all comes out of, I guess, a few different accounts by different people. Uh, so multiple people did account for this. Uh, the main guy named Phil Schneider, who he's kind of, I'm not sure how I feel about it, but he, he gave a lecture. Uh, he was an explosive engineer who worked for the U.S. government. He had a high-level security clearance, and he was said that, you know, he had mentioned that he was work, he worked for the government in um, kind of creating, boring these tunnels with lasers, you know, deep underground for these military bases. Um, so yeah, he claimed that this was in 1979. He participated in building of a secret underground base in Dulce, New Mexico. It was here that a horrific battle played out, leaving 60 humans dead and countless subterranean aliens fighting for their lives. So let that sink in. So something happened where he broke into some kind of wall um, with the explosive and a bunch of these big gray aliens started appearing and uh, <laughs> people died. And so this was, I know it sounds kind of far fetched. I'm just going off of what this guy was saying here. So he asserted that he was suspicious of the engineering operation while noticing the presence of green berets and special forces. Uh, his fears were realized when after drilling the underground, he came face to face with a seven foot tall, stinky gray alien. Stinky I thought it was funny gray. how he said stinky. <laughs> stinky. Um, he freaked out, grabbed his pistol he was carrying, and shot and killed two of them. He had no idea what was going on. Another alien shot some sort of laser at his hand and blew off like three or four of his fingers. You watch one of his lectures on YouTube. You can look him up. Phil Schneider, uh, Dulce, New Mexico base. Um, he, you know... So he shows his hand. It's deformed after this incident. He was saved by a Green Beret who allegedly gave his life for him. And all 60 human people allegedly lost their lives that day at the alien-human battle of Dulce. Um, there's there's more to this story. I, I didn't want to go too far into the weeds here because there's a little bit more sketchy stuff with Phil Schneider. He... Um, I guess after this lecture he gave that you could find on YouTube, uh, he evidently died from, quote, suicide, unquote. Um, his wife was adamant that he did, wasn't suicidal. He wasn't depressed. Um, and during this lecture, he, he said he feared for his life that he would be killed due to speaking out against the security clearance um, and all the, the papers he signed. So that's it's kind of creepy. Other people online, you know, definitely think he's kind of hokey. Um, so you just kind of take take hmm. from that what you will, right? Uh, but it but it is interesting, uh, interesting story, and um, you, you know, it goes along with our our podcast and stuff we've talked about before. Um, but the fact that you know. Th these other deep military underground bases actually exist leaves me thinking that, okay, well, maybe something did happen here. You know, with everything we've talked about with Bob Lazar and all that stuff, there's a lot of secrecy going on. 
I wouldn't put it past the U.S. government to keep this kind of thing from us, but at the same time, I'm not, I'm not fully invested that this occurred yet. Um, hmm. What are you, what are your thoughts? Well, there's a lot to unpack on this. Um, I, I have no problem believing in him discovering something that he wasn't supposed to know about and they made him promise to keep a secret and then he blew the promise and then they faked his death. That part, (laughs) that part's completely within the realm of possibility and believable because we know that shit happens. Um, but I'm not quite sure if I understand, I mean, if these is, so this, these aliens they discovered were, um, it was an alien base or it was our base that had aliens in it. I, I, well, when I first heard about this, I had heard that it was kind of like a mix and match, like aliens were working with humans on something. Um, but, oh, you know, oh, so they wouldn't have been this. This isn't like a U.S. slash alien project. This is uh, aliens working with humans for nefarious purposes of the aliens' intent that the U.S. government found out about and went after them. Yeah, I, I mean, it could be both. I don't know, one or the other. Uh, at this point, I mean, this is. I, I just hear some guy giving this lecture saying that he was an explosive engineer with the government and something happened where a bunch of these aliens were underground at this, this base and he was very caught off guard and this incident happened where he lost some of his hand. Right. So, well, I mean, if he's an explosive expert, you would think that he very well could have lost his part of his hand in something he was doing and then yeah. made up a story to be okay. Cause let me, let me tell um So I, I had this good friend um, who we called DT. And one day when we were in our very early twenties, uh, we got a phone call that he was being taken to the hospital and he had been mowing his lawn and reached down and, and saw that there was a, um, something was getting caught in the lawnmower and he looked down to see that it was a, a wire coat hanger. So he reached down to pull it out from under the lawnmower, but it caught and yanked his hand under the lawnmower and cut off his middle finger. Oof. Right. Okay. So don't worry, he, he's fine. But I mean, he did lose it from about the, the, the knuck, the first knuckle up. And so he had a very short, bird to flip. (laughs) So we'll put it that way. But then we used to go to bars and make up the story where we had been scuba diving and a shark came at him and he went to push the shark back, but the shark bit his finger off. Ooh. (laughs) And that would get us free drinks. So you see where I'm, I'm, I'm like, so here you've got this explosive expert who probably did something and it blew part of his hand off. And then he turned it into this whole thing about UFOs. But then 
his his suicide and his wife says it's not suicide so i want to i would actually want to like dig into that and actually interview his wife or something to see if we're actually getting a story or or just misinformation you know what i mean yeah Mm -hmm. no that's a good point i i don't have any problem believing that some somebody said something they weren't supposed to Boom, we don't want you saying anything else. You know, America has a rich history of that kind of thing, right? With, yeah. With like, for yeah. example, like the electric car, the guy who invented, you know, um, I saw some documentary about the original electric car and technology, kind of like that. And the government, you know, gentlemen coming over and shutting them up and, you know, <laughs> yep. yeah. stuff like that. You know, it's, oh, yeah. I don't, I believe it. Uh, just like Jeffrey uh, Epstein didn't kill himself, you know? So, (laughs) (laughs) so, well, here's another thing that kind of doesn't quite jive with me. So if there are aliens that are our enemies, why would you keep that? That would be a rallying cry that would unite the United States, you know, Um, probably the world against these aliens. Why would you keep that a secret? Jerry, we can't even rally together to fend off some small virus thing. Like we well, can't even get people to wear masks. You know, well, there, there's a there's a difference between the virus and 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 an actual tangible enemy because people just don't grasp the virus the same way. But I mean, after nine eleven, everybody came together for yeah. at least a year you know, before it started to crumble again. So, I mean, uh, cause I, I don't know. It, it's just that, that part doesn't make sense to me. Why, if, if we have aliens and we're fighting against them and obviously we must have won that little battle because we're still here, then I don't know. There could be some other, but I, I just, I, I have a hard time believing that. Yeah, I mean, I, at the same time, it kind of gives credence to the whole hollow earth theory, you know, with uh, no, cities that's underground. Phys- <laughs> that's physically <laughs> impossible. Yeah. That, I mean, they, they, they really know what's in the ground. It's, it's a molten metal core. Nothing's living there. And you go, the farther you go down, the hotter it gets, you know. Uh, and they know this for a fact that they, you know, tried to dig to China. <laughs> so. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it's kind of funny. Well, this would be a complete and total left turn for this conversation. Go for it. Let's do it. Well, Let's turn well, left. Okay. All right. So this is my, my segue is about a civilization building a thing deep underground. <laughs> okay. But for my one of my other podcasts, Zombie Beach, um, we're reviewing two movies. One, it, one is because I I, re- I requested, hey, let's take a um, look at Forbidden Planet again because that was one of my favorite old movies. And uh, my other friend Pat said, well, you know, that was based on William Shakespeare's The Tempest. And so we won't really go into the Tempest part, but. I did rewatch, well, I watched both of them, but I, I did rewatch Forbidden Planet for the first time in probably 15 years. Uh-huh. And 
uh, I really won't go into what I was thinking about the movie itself, but the plot is spoiler alert for a 19, what 54 movie. Um, so they're on this planet and they're the former inhabitants of the planet are long, long gone. And they were called the Krell and they built this huge, they were super, you know, highly advanced way beyond us. And they built this huge supercomputer with this massive power system deep, deep into the ground. It was like just, it didn't, wasn't the whole core of the planet, but it was like 20 miles down and 80 miles wide and just on and on and on. But the whole point of it was, it was this going to give the, the super advanced society the ability to just through the power of their mind to manifest any object or thing of their will. So they wouldn't have to have to build anything again. They would just say, I want a chair. There's the chair. You sit in the chair, you get up, make the chair go away. Basically they were turning reality into a kind of a computer that you can, you know, just manifest and unmanifest things. So they would never want for anything. Wow. Okay. So, it's starting to sound kind of like, uh, like the world is a simulation thing. So when they turned it on in one night, the whole civilization got wiped out. And, and so the, the, the moral, the story was that they didn't take into account that it would also amplify their id. And so it let loose this subconscious monster from everybody that was almost limitless power and they wiped themselves out. Just boom like that. So, <laughs> and here's where I really take a right turn. Cause this is the, the thing I'm going to bring, bring it home with that has nothing to do with dumb, <laughs> but it's probably dumb. I, I realized while I was watching it that this has, even though it, it, ha, it, it they wrote it in the fifties, they're trying to make it a Shakespeare thing and they didn't really, I, I don't think they really, it wasn't really Shakespeare, but a very unintended correlation occurred to me that we're actually living this right now. We are the Krell. We have built this enormous supercomputer called the internet. And through it unintentionally, not, and, and so that we could all have all the knowledge all the time instantly. It's not physical, but at least it's knowledge, right? And we've unleashed this monstrous id called the World Wide Web and mainly the social networks. <laughs> It's a freaking monster and is causing all sorts of trouble and and is probably going to wipe us out because of all these echo chambers and things we've talked about before. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) No, I mean, it's interesting. Yeah. I think, uh, mm. At the end of the day, is it good or is it bad? That's well, it is what we make of it. But I mean, nobody when we like when we built the internet and we built social, it was it was called what do we call it? The World Wide Web 2.0 is what everybody was calling it before it became the 
the social network. Um, it was to give everybody a voice. It was to equal the playing field. It was like this um, utopia. Basically, we were trying to build a digital utopia, which harkens back to our last episode. Really, I mean that was that was the feeling that it, when we were like building these websites and everybody could you know have their own TV show and everybody can you know so like utopia where you know everybody's free of freedom of expression. We didn't take into account this darker side that we have that would just come out and just manifest itself and then get stronger and stronger because it is, it's getting stronger and stronger and stronger. It's tearing everything apart from the inside in wow. sermon. <laughs> the Reverend Jerry has spoken. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, this I, is the way. <laughs> this is the way. I like, uh, yeah, I like the internet. I like websites. I, I do I, too. I think uh, buying things from the internet is great. I think uh, clicking clicking a button, having things come out of my my bank account, and a box showing up at my door is awesome. I know. <laughs> uh, just today, we uh, pulled up an app, uh, custom built an order at Taco Bell, said go, pulled up. Told them our name. We already paid for it, and they just handed it to us. I love that. That's great. Oh, and the man. food was exactly the way we wanted it, and we didn't have to touch them. They didn't have to touch us or anything. But there's this darker side that we've enabled, and there's no way to get It's a Pandora's box we've opened, and we can't put it back in. There's, I don't have there's, – there's no – I don't know what to do about it. I don't think anybody does. Yeah. There's no going back now. This is the decision we've made and the direction we're going. I know. So now we have to live with it. We're, we're, we're going to have to evolve to be better. And it's, it doesn't seem to be happening. I guess we're going to have to give it time. But yeah, it's, it's just getting darker and more horrible. That's the way I'm seeing it. If you watch the news, oh, my God. Don't you feel like the internet in, in some respects has kind of dumbed us down and made us lazy, even lazier than we were before? I do know that it has shortened my attention span. I, I find it really hard to watch a movie anymore because I would rather watch 10-minute segments of YouTube. Really? Oh, that's too bad. I, I, love, I love movies. YouTube. I love movies too, but I just, I can't sit through a whole movie. It's re- I had to force myself oh. to, to not stop it and then and like and this has been going on for a long time when when i d- i didn't see um avatar when it came out in the theater uh-huh. but as soon as it was released on um itunes i bought it and i was watching it on my ipad because i, I didn't have a computer um, a tv at the time after after i moved up here i was anti-tv and pro computer and it took me literally two weeks to watch the movie because, because it was like a book. Now I didn't have to watch it all the way through. So I'd watch it for a while, hit pause, close the window and go do something else. And then later on to come back and watch from exactly where I picked it up. I, but to sit down and watch a movie all the way through is torture to me. Now. Wow. It's my ADD has gone crazy and because it's been enabled 
by the technology. You know, I wasn't used, I didn't used to be like this. Oh man. I, I don't think that's, that's done that for me. I've definitely always, I still love watching binging shows like your average, average American. Um, I, I wish I could, I just can't do it. I but used hey, to watch binge shows. I don't know what happened. I just fear that we're all going to end up like in Wally, you know, like floating around in our, our huge lazy boy floating machines with huge oh. biggie sized soda pops. And I, I can see that happening to some people, but you know, it's had the opposite effect on me, especially now that you and I have you. Okay. Uh, dear listeners, Joe has gotten me into VR. <laughs> and, and I'm just starting. I just stuck my toe into the virtual reality, like, you know, a couple days ago and I'm already loving it. And I, I accidentally punched the wall today cause I was dancing with a robot. <laughs> I was, I was not sitting down. I was standing up and I was getting into it. And, and I was, I was doing the, you know, that, um, I, I love the, the Oculus, um, uh, teaching program where it teaches you how to do things mm-hmm. where you throw the paper airplanes and you shoot the guns and then you remote control the blimp. You've played that. Yeah. Yeah. That's the kind of intro thing to get you started. Nikki and I, when we both danced with the robot, it was so fun. I have that, that memory in my head from when we first got the, our, our first Oculus quest and we were, both, uh-huh. we have this kind of, uh, it's where the a room where the treadmill is and we have a little exercise bike, but we also use it for, VR. So we were both in there and she was seeing me dance with the robot. I was seeing her dance with the robot. Uh, <laughs> it was, it was fun. You know, it was, I love, I love my favorite thing is their little rocket. You pull the string in it. Yeah. Like, yeah. I was, I was, I would put the, uh, the blimp up and then I'd try to hit it with the rockets. Yeah. <laughs> That's as far as I've gone that. And I, I got a fishing the fishing simulation where you actually have a rod in your hand and you're trying to catch fish. Oh, that's cool. That's pretty cool. So, um, without turning this into the VR show, (laughs) (laughs) I do think that it's it's coming of age, especially with this Oculus um, uh, Quest 2 that's all in one unit. And uh, Joe and I are going to, like, hook up and start doing things um, um, via social VR where you're, you're up and moving around and you're getting exercise and stuff. So I, I see that as a positive. Absolutely. You know, I think VR is one thing and I think mixed reality is the next kind of step. Oh yeah. Um, and That's going to be wonderful. I hope well, so. I hope yeah. so. <laughs> well, I mean, it can be wonderful. That's the problem with the internet and everything. It can be wonderful. It could also be very horrible, but, the the only thing I could see, and I've actually seen it uh, portrayed in movies, where the the AR, the uh, augmented reality, goes wrong, is when there's advertisements everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah. But I imagine, like you, you have a set. Everybody say everybody has a set, and right in front of you, there's this horrible car wreck. And you get out and you go try to help these injured people and you put the VR thing on or the, the AR thing and you connect it to the hospital. So the hospital can see what you see 
and then tell you what to do. And then the glasses show you what to do, how to perform the CEPR, what, you know, and it's, it's like instant learning Mm -hmm. for, for, for the good of mankind is possible. Almost kind of like, almost kind of like the matrix a little bit. Yeah. I I still think we're, (laughs) I still think we're in a a simulation. I really do. You're always going to think that. Imagine this. Okay. Imagine this. Imagine when we finally get a chance to see actual real reality just for a split second, maybe five minutes. And then we have to come back into this it's all going to look fake from that point on. Yeah. <laughs> because actual reality is going to be totally analog. And we're going to get back in here and realize this is all digital. It makes me think of, um, you know, when you're doing your, your dreaming, oh, what's that kind of dreaming called when you're, you think it's lucid real dreaming, like lucid, lucid dreaming. When you see like yeah. the light switch side by side of the no doorknob on a door, like, and then you can start to train yourself to see what's real and not real or uh-huh. a dream. That's kind of what it, you, what you're saying. It makes me think of. Have you done the lucid dreaming thing? I mean, I've had dreams where they felt real before for sure, but I've never able been able to like, you know, I think control. Like I think I have dreams where I feel like I'm, I'm there. I don't think I'm dreaming. I think it's real and I'm flying and stuff. Um, but I've never been able to physically make myself go there on will. Do you, do you think lucid dreaming would be a good episode? Sure. I think, I think it'd be interesting. Okay. I don't really know All too right. much, but. Um, oh, I could teach you everything about it. Cause I took classes on it and everything. Oh, that's cool. And and then I, I ran into this guy at the, the bar before everything was shut down and uh, he was in it too. And so we started sharing techniques back and forth on how to train yourself to realize you're in a dream and then take control of the dream. Now I haven't done it for a long time, but what happened with, let's save it for the episode. Okay. (laughs) Teaser. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Our next episode, lucid dreaming. Noise. And with that, shall we wrap this one up? Let's do it. All right. Thanks for listening to the Acceptably Real podcast with Joe and Jerry. Eager for more? Visit us at acceptablyreal.com or like us on Facebook at Acceptably Real Podcast. Hey, it's Jerry. I am happy to announce that on August 1st, 2020, my latest novel is out. It's another comedy, fantasy, mystery, love story type novel. This one's set right before the pandemic hit. Well, because that's when I wrote it. And the main character is a down-on-his-luck tech entrepreneur who lost almost everything in a bad deal and a lawsuit and decides to reboot his life by opening up a computer repair shop for secret reasons of his own in a small Oregon seacoast town. 
There he is seduced by a mysterious young witch. And, while on a walk along the ocean one morning, he sees something he knows is impossible. And yet, there it is. This leads him into a secret the town has been keeping since the 70s and throws everything he's ever believed about reality right out the window. The book is called No Such Thing as Mermaids and is available now on Amazon.com and soon at most other major online bookstores, both in print and ebook editions. You could also find links to it on my personal website, jerryjdavis.com. Thanks!